so much. That was wonderful. Um, I continue to enjoy this series. I continue to enjoy hearing from you all. And um, and so uh, thank you for submissions. Uh, I... um, I always look forward to what, uh, what wisdom uh, is sitting in the pews, and I know there's a lot. Uh, we have wonderful uh, teachers, uh, we have wonderful Bible study leaders, uh, we have um, just a, a wealth of um, knowledge and wisdom sitting uh, out there, uh, and if you're interested in sharing any of that, let me know. Let's begin today with a word of prayer. <clears throat> God, as we come this morning, um, we ask uh, that you uh, give us an extra measure of faith. Our desire is to to praise you, to glorify you, uh, to extol your name, uh, to recognize uh, the place that you have uh, in uh, the universe and in history, how small we are, how big you are, but yet how you love us so much. And you desire, Lord, that we trust you because you love us so much. Lord, uh, I pray today that you speak a word to each and every one of us. We all need to hear different things this morning. And um, Lord, through your spirit, I know you're capable of that. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, our our passage for the day here, and uh, we'll go through this just uh, line by line, basically, and uh, make sure you have your your Bible in front of you. Uh, There's a lot going on, as Dave said, the whole chapter. Frankly, I I mean, I I started in preparation for this, just I thought I'd, you know, go ahead and catch myself up to speed, read chapter one and chapter two, and, you know, the whole time, it's, and then chapter four, and it's just filled with, with, I realized, I think I pulled together about five sermons. I'm going to try to whittle that down into one, uh, just uh, so you know, uh, I'm I'm not uh, trying to be an overachiever this morning, and... um, there is a ton of wisdom here, which makes sense, right? Because this is wisdom literature. It's wisdom literature is what this is. Um, this begins with, um, well, with Solomon. Uh, it says, uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then uh, if you skip down, well, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive in, uh, instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. He's like outlining here uh, what this book is meant to do, right? Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then he kind of says the, the line that, uh, that appears over and over again uh, throughout our Old Testament in particular, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So one of my sermons that I'm not going to preach is, uh, is on the fear of the Lord. It's a good one. Uh, you'll have to wait for another time. But uh, the fear of the Lord be- being the beginning of wisdom, uh, it actually shows up in our passage for today. And it's an important uh, thing that, the, that appears again and again and again throughout our scriptures, right? What does it mean to fear God? Well, whatever it is, I assure you this much, one... It's the beginning of wisdom. And then, and two, it's a very active sort of thing. Because always connected with the fear of the Lord is is this idea of obedience to this God. If we start in chapter three, however, we we get um, what uh, is one of my favorite parts about all of these opening chapters uh, to Proverbs. It begins this way with two simple words, my son, right? Or some translations, my child, right? My son, my child, my daughter. And what we get here is we get a parent and a child having a conversation, And we have a parent who is trying to instill the wisdom that has been given to him or to her uh, onto somebody else, their their child, right? And there's kind of two sides to this coin. There's the, the side of the child, right, who's supposed to receive this wisdom. And then there's the kind of subtext of it all, which is that the rest of us in the room, the parents in the room, our, our job is to do the instilling and is to pass on this wisdom. If you know anything about uh, the Old Testament in particular, uh, the Israelites and, and the Judaites, they, they get themselves in trouble for not passing on the wisdom of their fathers. This is something that they get blamed for. And so here we have an example of Solomon passing on his wisdom, and he begins by saying, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Uh, There's going to be a few Hebrew words thrown out here and there, um, apologies ahead of time, but stick with me, Uh, they're important. My son, do not forget my Torah, this is a word you probably know, actually. Don't forget my, my teachings, right? Don't forget the law. Don't forget the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Torah, if you don't know. And uh, what I like about this passage is as much as it says something, uh, the, word, the fact that the word Torah sits here, uh, it says something about this passage This passage actually, it kind of opens up to us what the real meaning of the Torah is. It's a teaching. It's a shaping. It's meant to, and we now could speak of the whole of Scripture, it's meant to be this this force that over time, as you allow it to shape you and teach you, and you become the kind of person who is shaped by Scripture, by Torah, by the teaching, in much the same way that you are shaped, hopefully, by the ways in which your parents raise you. 
Whether like, they, they're doing it purposefully and raising you purposefully, or the things that they're doing uh, that uh, maybe are unintentional, and they're raising you in a certain kind of way. And it says here, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my, uh, it says commandments, we could say simply commands, or a Hebrew word, this goes straight to Dave here, mitzvah, right? My guess is Dave, uh, being a good uh, Jew uh, in his earlier life, had a bar mitzvah. Did you have a bar mitzvah, Dave? Yes, he did. Uh, a bar mitzvah. Some of you have been to bar mitzvahs in your life, and uh, at age 13, uh, a Jewish boy or at a bat mitzvah, a Jewish girl, uh, they have a party, and they become what is called a son or daughter of the commandments. And they, uh, they get uh, in front of the congregation and they, they read uh, some scripture in Hebrew. Uh, there's going to be a test later. Uh, I'm going to have uh, all of our youth come up and they're going to read uh, Greek to you. And uh, no, you're not. But, uh, but they, they read uh, from their Hebrew Torah, right? Uh, and they, at this point, are supposed to uh, move from childhood into manhood or childhood into womanhood, right? And Dave's shaking his head, no. And I know what I was like at age 13. I certainly was not a man. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, I, I was a 13-year-old. And uh, so, but the idea, nevertheless is that for those 13 years of your life, you're being shaped by the commands, right? By, by the mitzvah. And now you are a child of the mitzvah. And, and you are supposed to enter into adulthood and, and some of the privileges that come along with that. It's a rite of passage. And there's a party that comes along with it and usually lots of gifts and laughter and dancing and all sorts of stuff, right? And uh, I, I have to wonder, at least if in part, it comes out of maybe Proverbs 3.1 here. I'm sure there's lots of other places in our, our scripture that we could point to where mitzvah shows up. But this idea that a, a, a parent is speaking to a child and, and passing down the wisdom of a parent uh, is really important to all of us. It should be to all of us. Again, whether you're the parent or the child... Your job is to both give and receive wisdom. In fact, if you, you just skip ahead one chapter to, to chapter 4 here. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father... Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. He taught me and said to me, right? And here we get the idea that a father is receiving from his father and now passing it on to his son. And the line continues. There's something beautiful about this. and something important about this. And it, it kind of cements this idea of the family structure being this, this basic uh, building block of, of the church and of society at large. And I do fear that some of that is being eroded today in our society. 
And I would want to say to you, it is your job, parents in the room, to raise your children in the mitzvah of the Lord, in the commands of the Lord, in the Torah, the teachings, right? This is, is your task. It is our task together as a church, though. I'd, I'd say that too, right? This is why we offer Sunday schools. This is why we offer uh, Sunday school classes and, and maybe even Bible studies and youth groups. and all, all, We're doing all this together. But ultimately, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the real heft of this lays on your shoulders. It continues, though. Verse uh, 2 uh, mentions this length of days and years of life and peace that will be added to you if you keep the Torah and the mitzvah, right? And um, I, here's what I'll just simply say about this. One, it's, a, uh, it's kind of a callback to something that's happening earlier in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 5, the, the Ten Commandments, one of the only commandments, the only commandment uh, that has a, like an if-then statement to it is, if you honor your father and mother, then it will be long, uh, your life will be longer, basically. And uh, uh, the same is then true in, in Deuteronomy 30, where you get this long list of commandments and these things that you're supposed to keep. And then it says, and if you do all this, your life will be uh, well. Um, like We all know how life works in, in, in this other way, where sometimes we do the right thing and, and then we get punished or something bad happens to us, right? We, we know that. But we also know this much, that if you follow the teachings of your parents, especially young ones, right? Don't go running out into the street, right? Uh, look both ways as you, as you cross the road. I have some basic instructions, right? You will live a whole lot longer uh, in a very real sense than if you just simply discard with what your parents have to teach you. And those are just some basic examples. I'm sure you could think of many, many others. Verse 3, Solomon goes on here, and he says this. He says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Don't get rid of the steadfast love and the faithfulness in your life. These two words We'll talk about them in a minute. He says, instead, bind them around your neck, right? Keep them close at hand. In fact, go one step further and write them on the tablet of your heart, right? Don't just have them somewhere externally. Actually write them into the core of your very being, steadfast love and and faithfulness, and then again, it's kind of an if-then here. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Now these two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, are perhaps the most, this might be overselling it, but some of the most important uh, uh, adjectives that are in your Hebrew Bible, 
Okay, chesed is the first one. You've got to get it in your throat, chesed, and emet. And they get translated in a variety of ways, and they show up a lot and often with respect to God himself. God is said to be chesed and emet. Take them one at a time here. Chesed, steadfast love is the translation I have, but you might have other translations if you're, you're using a different translation of the Bible. Could include any of the following. Steadfast love, mercy, kindness, loving kindness, or just simply love. You see the broad length and depth of that one word, right? It has all kinds of tentacles sticking out in all sorts of directions. And primarily we start with, this is who God is. And therefore, you folks made in the image of God are meant to also have this characteristic too. You too are supposed to bind around your neck and write on the tablet of your heart that you are a person of steadfast love, that you're a merciful kind of person, that you're kind and, and loving kind, and, and that you simply put, this is the word that uh, when we get to the New Testament gets translated as agape, that you love, right? The other word, emet, these two almost always go together, and there is um, a working together of these two words. And faithfulness is certainly right, but at a different, in a different kind of way, it's, a, it's also truth. This gets translated as truth, right? Uh, one way to think of this would be to say, like, you're a true friend to me, if you say that to somebody, right? The, the use of that word true means uh, what we're getting at here. There's a, there's a truth, but it's like an active kind of truth. It's not a, um, like a Greek uh, truth sitting up somewhere in the abstract. But then there's also loyalty, which is actually a really nice way to translate this. Loyalty. Dependability. Certainty, right? And uh, it interests me that... Um, Two things. One, that it is first said of God that he is the one who is loyal, dependable, trustworthy, true, all of these things, right? To us, it should be said, and to his covenant that he made. And then he calls us out and into that kind of way of being. And Proverbs 3 tells us if, if we can etch that way of being into our very core, that we will have favor and good success in the sight of God, for first and foremost, and others. And that is good, some good news. We, we need, this to me is, is as inspiring as just about anything else in this passage here. We need to learn new ways of, of finding success, of course with God, but with other human beings in a contentious world. If we can be the kind of people who express loving kindness on a regular basis, are true and loyal friends, and we know how to do that, like my word, we will find success with God and with others. But now, 
let's get down to business. And these are the final two verses. I'm going to actually not get to, uh, just so you know, seven and eight. I'm, I've cut those out and kind of pushed those off for another day. Dave chose uh, five and six here, and uh, for good reason. Uh, they're uh, famous passages, and there's a lot here. And it has to do with trusting God, right? And so we read this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. If we just stop a second. The author did not have to choose the heart, right? He could have said, trust in the Lord with all your mind. Trust in the Lord with, uh, you know, your soul or something. But he chose the heart, right? The core of our very being. We did the... uh, the shtick here, and I really was very nervous. Uh, thank you for playing along, uh, and I'm so glad that the water did not burst out of there. I was, I think, and I'm not, my heart was pounding in a way that it's not at all right now. Uh, I was very concerned that that was going, I, I didn't trust myself is what I'm saying, right? Uh, and uh, what I wondered if would happen, you know, you never know what's going to happen, um, is if it's one thing to say that you trust with your head, right? And you say to yourself, you know what? If I end up in whatever scenario that's hard, I trust that God will, will see me through. Um, and then you get into that scenario. You get in the hardship of life, right? You get into the place where it's just like you become a punching bag to life or, or uh, you're down and out uh, or any number of things might happen. And then the real question gets asked, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And that's when you know if you really trust God with all of your heart, Do you really have faith in those kinds of moments? Because it's one thing to say it when all is good and well, but it's a whole other thing, isn't it, to say it when things are not going well at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. I wrestled with this one. I should want to come back to that part, the wrestling. Let's keep going. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I liked Dave's caveat a lot. His, his uh, word choice, changing acknowledge here uh, to something uh, with more teeth to it, like submit. Uh, the word acknowledge... Uh, is actually just simply the word to know, right? In all of your ways, in everything you do in life, every step you take, every place you find yourself, every person you're talking to, remember, know that God is there with you. And know that God is either directing your steps or you're leaning on your understanding, right? These are kind of your two options that sit before you. In all your ways, submit to God's ways, and he will make straight your paths. And there again, we get this this promise, right? It's this if-then. If 
you know, if you submit to God in those ways, then he will make your paths straight. Which I should say is not to say he will make your path easy, is it? If you've followed God long enough in life, you can follow God uh, and you can submit to his ways and you can find yourself bumping up usually against the world, right? Something's coming back at you in some way, making that road, maybe it's straight, but it's still uh, some rugged terrain. But nevertheless, God at the very least promises you that he will make that way straight, it will be clear enough to you. But here's the problem that I bumped into as I, as I read this passage, specifically verses 5 and 6. I kept coming back to it again and again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And uh, the, the question I kept asking myself is, is this really advice that I, Eric Gilchrist, give to my children? I have three of them in here, right? Do I really tell them, don't lean on your own understanding? Or do, do I say something different? The world certainly says something different, doesn't it, right? The world says things like uh, either be yourself or, or yourself or, uh, you know, uh, you have it within you uh, to become whoever you, right? There's this inward, you know, uh, look. And so I kept asking, like, uh, do I want my children to not lean on their understanding. And part of me said, well, if I, if I say that, then why am I sending them to school and, to, and hopefully to college if they get in? You know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, and uh, the, uh, like, why, why would I send them to all these, uh, through this, this rigorous exercise for years and years, uh, 22 years, we'll say, uh, only to then turn around and say, don't trust yourself. Is that, what, is that what this passage is saying? Don't trust yourself. Trust God, don't trust yourself. And I had to come to the conclusion, the answer is no. This is not exactly what's happening in this passage. I actually do think God wants you to trust yourself in some measure. I want, I want to suggest to you in two very clear ways. <clears throat> what I think this passage is saying is at least two things I'll give you two. One, when the road splits in front of you, right, and when you come to that crossroads, and the road splits in one way leads to trusting God, and then the other road leads to trusting in what you know, trusting yourself, right? Those are the two paths that sit before you. What Proverbs is saying to us is choose this path every time. Trust God every time. This is actually the sermon I preached a few weeks ago from James chapter 3. If you remember, um, if you don't, quick synopsis. <laughs> uh, this was the wisdom that comes from above versus the wisdom that comes from below. And the wisdom that comes from above well, I'll just read it. I brought it up here, right? Uh, the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's the wisdom that's from above. That's God's wisdom that he's granting to us and giving to us. And he's saying, live in that direction. 
And the world is saying something along the lines of, well, there are shortcuts, and there are better ways to navigate this world, right? And if you take those shortcuts and you navigate the world differently, you'll actually probably succeed in a different measure of success. You, know, you, you might find yourself in the, the CEO position instead of, uh, maybe you might lose your job if you, you try to do some of uh, the wisdom from above. But when the road splits, we have to ask the question, do we head toward trusting God or do we trust in what uh, Proverbs is calling ourselves or what we could call from James here the wisdom of the world? And I'm saying to you, Proverbs is saying to you, James is saying to you, every time, trust God, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, that I, what I think it's trying to say in this passage is that the wisdom and the truth and the understanding that is indeed true, it's not our understanding. Let me read it for you again here. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. And if you're saying to yourself, well, I learned all sorts of great things in school, and I, and I learned all sorts of great things in, uh, in Sunday school, and in the small groups that I'm part of, and the youth group that I'm a part of, right? Are those not my understanding? And what I'm saying to you is, no, those are not yours. Those are gifts from above. That is truth that has come down from above, and they're not yours, and so this is not what uh, Proverbs 3 is talking about here. When it says, do not lean on your own understanding, it's saying an understanding that is apart from those things, apart from the truths that are indeed capital T truth of the world, because those fall in that first category. That is the Lord's category. That is trusting in the Lord. When we choose the truths with a capital T, we are not choosing our own wisdom. We are, in fact, choosing God's wisdom. And this is important to be reminded every now and again, is not self-sufficiency. This is not self-sufficiency, as if, I just, if I'm just strong enough in myself. This is being sufficient in the things that God has given to me. The wisdom that God has granted me through people like you, through people like the teachers uh, uh, that uh, our students are with, through their own parents, right? This, this is what we're talking about. It's not a self-sufficiency. It's not a looking inward I found this lovely quote that's by C.S. Lewis, but not by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's uh, from the movie Shadowlands, and the character C.S. Lewis says it, uh, but he actually didn't say it in real life. Point is, goes like this. Self-sufficiency, which by the way, I actually think is, uh, man, uh, that's the gospel of the world today, self-sufficiency. But self-sufficiency is the enemy of salvation, is what the movie says. If you are uh, self-sufficient, you have no need of God. 
If you have no need of God, you do not seek him. And if you do not seek him, well, you will not find him. Right? 2 Corinthians 3 gives us a very different picture of what sufficiency can and indeed does look like from a Christian perspective. It goes like this. Such is the confidence, oh, that's not the whole of it, but uh, starting in verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. So if we have any kind of confidence in this life, it goes like this, Paul says. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but, here's the key, our sufficiency is from God, right? Our sufficiency is from God. Our wisdom is from God. It's that wisdom from above. This is not our own. This is uh, something we can be confident in. But are we to be proud in the sinful sense? No, right? No, because this is a gift from above. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right, I want to leave you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it is that time. All right. I'll leave you with, uh, with this. Uh, trusting God. This was the other problem I had. Is that... Uh, I want to say in life that, yeah, uh, trust God. I'm just going to go out and uh, I'm, whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do that and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Uh, the problem you might have experienced in life is sometimes it's not always clear uh, what direction to go. As someone told me this week, it should be nice if God left neon signs, right, saying, do this, do that. But God has left some signs. I just want to give you a few, uh, and I will make this very quick here. We are to follow the lead of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? And each of these speaks to us in different ways. The Father, through the created order, actually, and I'd really love to go into all this. The Son speaks to us through the life that he lived, and he demonstrates to us what it looks like to be God, and what we are to look like as humans. And as John says over and over and over again, uh, Jesus is this portal to what God looks like. And if we want to know the heart of God, we'll just look straight into the heart of Jesus. And the Spirit. This is kind of the wild card. It's the one that Jesus sends to us and speaks to us. And it's the thing that we're supposed to cultivate in this life, right? This, this inner work of the Spirit within us. Uh, we are to trust uh, parents. This comes very clearly. Uh, what, what it means to trust God is often well, you start with your parents, right? What does it mean to trust God? Well, often it means to trust uh, the church as a whole, right? The body of Christ, 
is what it means to trust God. We don't trust our own understanding, certainly not the, uh, the unsanctified me or the immature version of me or you, especially think in terms of like little children now, like your job as parents is to mature them over time. And over time, they become increasingly mature, which is exactly what God is trying to do with all of us. Make us new creations. He wants to give us that new heart that we talk about. The the, the mind of Christ. And even a new body at some point. The point of it all is sanctification. It is to be the kind of person that maybe doesn't lean on our own understanding because it's not mine. But it is on the understanding that has been given to me through Jesus Christ and whose wisdom has come down and made me a new person filled with the Spirit, given me a new mind of Christ, and given me a new heart. That's the person you trust. That's what it means to lean on one's own understanding, but, but in a healthy way, because it's not my understanding, right? It's the understanding that has been given to me from outside of me, from God himself. I had a final warning here, but we are way past, how did that happen? Oh my goodness. That's what happens when I speak twice in one service. Uh, we're going to stop there and uh, let's start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we trust uh, that you have spoken today. We thank you for your wisdom from above. We know, God, that you are shaping us and molding us to be people who follow your Torah, your law, your teaching, your mitzvah, your commands. And we trust, Lord, that by doing so, you are making us more and more into your image, into the image of Christ, who's was sent to die on our behalf, Lord, that our sins might be taken, that we might be made new, that our hearts and our minds be made new. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.